What's up guys, Owen here from The Professional Builder and welcome to the show. We've been working with residential building companies since 2004 and in that time we would have helped over 2,000 build in better resilience, more profit, more time into their business, giving them true wealth. If you're here and you're looking for systems and processes, the ability to hold and retain the best people and do the best projects at the best profit margins, then you're in the right place. That's what we specialize in and it's what we share on this show. We interview great guests, great members, great industry professionals, and we bring all of those insights and lessons and learnings to you here. So if you like the show, please like and subscribe, comment and share with your friends. If you think that there's somebody that would benefit from this insight, then share it along with them. We don't have ads on here. We don't really do any promotional stuff. All we want is for you to get the best value. And you can do that and give us feedback and give us the fuel to keep it going by liking, commenting, and sharing. You either win me or win, 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 win. Yeah. Fucked everything else. You got a lot of rewards in the back there, Warren. Uh, that was one night's worth, actually. So. You are kidding me. Nah, one night's worth, mate. That's phenomenal. When was mm. that? Uh, just last month um, at the Manawatu Wonganui uh, House of the Year Awards. Congratulations, so, man! That's awesome. Well done. We picked up three. Pick up? Uh, we picked up three golds for workmanship, three golds for category, um, four special awards, craftsmanship award, and supreme build. So you're kidding me? No. So, so does the supreme build enter you into compete with the other categories? Uh, the uh, yes, yeah, so um, all three projects uh, now go into the top 100 nationally and compete, but the Supreme Build goes into the um, overall House of the Year winner. So, Mate, that is awesome. How stoked are you? Yeah, really stoked for the team, mate. It's been a lot of hard work and um, the focus on quality and something that's different and attention to detail, um, treating every house like it's it's very special to the owner and stuff like that is, is kind of paid off. Mm. Yeah, the, nothing generates success like a quality product, quality workmanship, and quality word of mouth. Mm. But so, um, it's also it quite interesting. Best kept secret in, uh, in are you in Palmy North? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. There's no, no, no point in being the best kept secret there. No. No, so it was, um, it was a little bit of a challenge because I entered 20 years ago, so 2000, 2001. Um, yeah, it makes me sound old, which I am. But uh, so back in 2000, 2001, I also um, cleaned up local, regional and national awards. So um, with a couple of three builds and probably still the youngest builder to this day to win a national award. So um, awesome. back how in those days, but yeah. How old were you then? Uh, I think it was 25, 26, somewhere around there. Mm. Nice. You're looking good for 39 today. I love it. Yeah, mate. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. So uh, let's crack into it. Thanks uh, for giving up your time for the next uh, 25 minutes. I like to use these sessions one day a week to speak to members who are either in momentum, can inspire others, what's working well, how their mindset's changed, etc or people who need some help who are, uh, you know, struggling with some more strategic aspects. So if I can help you today, you know, I will coach you in any uh, specific direction that you want some help. And also this is a good opportunity to share what's working well, how your mindset's changed and let people know a little bit about your journey and share what's working well.
So that works. Uh, awesome, Warren. So tell us a little bit about your background, um, where you base, type of builds you do, etc. Because I know you've got quite a um, quite a special business. Okay, so um, basically, I was your typical um, young kid at school that uh, grew up in a, a large family of ten kids. Wanted to be out working with his brothers and dad. Um, so basically got kicked out of school at the age of 14 and um, managed to uh, default my way into a building apprenticeship at 15. By 19, um, sort of come out in the, just on the edge of the, the big financial crash in the 80s. So yep. ended up labour-only contracting for three to four years all over sort of the lower North Island. Then sort of moved into character homes as, as it progressed, because I was sort of buying and selling them for myself and then specialised in that for 10 years, went all over New Zealand doing those. Um, so then, about that. I'm, I'm just going to close the door. I have two small boys, uh, six and nine, with a lot of energy. <laughs> I wonder where they get that from. Keep it down, please. Yeah, so we sort of, um, so that sort of led me to go all over the country doing... Um, character restoration and, and big extensions on character homes. So it was a lot of learning done in that period. Um, so and, like villas, bungalows, what, what sort of character? Yeah, so mate, predominantly villas and bungalows and the, the bigger projects were the sort of the bigger old farming estates. Um, so they were quite big projects. We'd be on jobs for eight, 10 months at a time and um, basically set up mobile joinery shops to run everything on site. And awesome. so a lot of, a lot of sort of awesome learnings through that. And then the opportunity came to build uh, a new build for my sister's mother and father-in-law, I suppose. And um, it was quite a unique build. It was a two-story French style. So that sort of led me into the um, new build thing. And I thought, well, this is a hell of a lot easier. So I'll stick at this for a while. And um, yep. the business grew quite rapidly because of the builds we were doing. Um, got completely out of control after I won my first round of awards. Um, <laughs> went from three guys to 20 guys, a joinery shop, um, and then had three sort of strokes of bad luck. Um, that's interesting that you opened up a joinery shop because that's exactly what um, Brendan Salby from Next Level Construct did up here. So we we helped him grow. When he came to us, he was doing about two and a half, not making a lot of money. Uh, and then it grew to close to, I think about eight and a half, close to 10. And then decided to open up a uh, joinery business on the shore yeah. as well. So, and got one of its guys in there to run that. Yeah, I guess that was kind of residual from um, doing bespoke work for the villas and bungalows and needing the stuff when you needed it rather than having to wait. So um, it was kind of residual from fact, but a uh, whole lot of circumstances at the time, I blamed everyone else. Um, up till probably three or four years ago, I blamed everyone else, but basically I had to reach a creditor's resolution with that company in 2001, which was pretty tough on me personally, financially and family-wise, health-wise. So, but took a couple of years sort of just jobbing work, floating around, got back going again um, with the support of a client who gave me a big charge-up job in Taupo doing a massive renovation. They're an Australian couple who I'd met through going to my mother and father-in-law's for Christmas, just, each Christmas. Just on, just on that, Warren, because uh, we, we've had, it's almost like there's 
two types of builders. Those that have been bust or close to going bust and have come out the other side with better financial due diligence, better margin control, better productivity of their projects, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the other guys that are heading towards some form of uh, meltdown and they're not aware of their numbers. They're not aware of their um, productivity on site. They've got no idea of how, how to control the job. Two questions. Uh, what changed after that in how you run your business? And secondly, with um, compromise, do, do, were any of the sub-trades still willing to work with you or did you have to rebuild and start new relationships or was it a mixture? Um, well, it was interesting. Um, I certainly found out um, at the time the, the difference between friends and business and business, uh, friends through business and not business through friends. And um, you very quickly learn that the difference there. So the, the main reason that the whole thing failed was um, basically naivety, rapid growth, not knowing how to fund growth, not not back costing, not actually knowing what my day-to-day -day costs were, what the overheads were, and just the sheer cost of um, running an operation like that and basically trying to do everything myself, working too many hours and not doing it well, you know? So they were the hard lessons learned. And yes, it did take a long time to get going um, and build everyone's trust up again. Um, unfortunately, this country doesn't forget very quickly and when you live in a village, it's even worse. So um, yeah, so that, that took a long time, yeah. Okay, so, so tell me about eHouse, type of builds you do, what's unique about them, why you decided to become a, um, a licensee? Um, so basically eHouse was started by a couple of guys in Wanganui who had experienced what it was like to live in a warm, dry, controlled environment in Europe. Um, and the Passive House movement was started in 1990 um, by a physicist who just believed that buildings were shocking and performing badly. Um, I had been previously experimenting in some energy efficient homes and so I was approached by eHouse. So basically, yeah, it's a, it's a license so we can do other work, but um, it's a company now that's in 21 areas around the country, um, of which I have two. So I've got the Manawatu area, but I've also got Central Lakes down south, so Wanaka, Queenstown. Nice. Awesome. Um, yeah, bit of a future plan there. So, um, yeah, and so we specialise in passive house construction. Mm -hmm. um, and so every house is bespoke, every house is designed uniquely for that site and the, the client's criteria, really. So it's quite a specialised field. Yeah, there's a, there's a few guys, a few members that we've got uh, that are big into that. Toby Tilsley from Craft Construction, but springs to mind. Have you come across him at all? No, I haven't, no. He, he's in Auckland. There's, New Zealand's lagging quite, quite a bit with the rest of the world, particularly Europe and the passive house uh, sector, but it's becoming way more topical people are paying way more attention to the quality of the home and the energy saving and efficiency options i think it's it's a wave that is starting to gather momentum significantly mm. yeah so when i joined i kind of saw that that's perhaps where the new zealand building code would eventually start to align itself with so decided to get in early um and i think we've pretty much established ourselves in this area as being the dominant 
force with it. So yes, there's a couple other builders doing them um, and they're doing sort of one-offs for the odd architect, but um, not to the level that we are, um, to the point where we're approached by the customer before they go anywhere near a designer or an architect and, and we take them through that design build process. Awesome. So do you have like, how does it work? Do you have a set of plans? Do you have a designer on site? Like how bespoke are the projects? Absolutely 100% bespoke. So currently um, eHouse National has a, what we call a design hub. So we have a collection of different architects we can use, but design has always been a huge passion of mine. So architecture is something I've followed since I was 10 years old. So um, generally what happens is I sit down with my clients, uh, go and go and meet them on site, talk about their budget first and foremost. Generally, before we do any of that, they've been through our qualification process that we developed since we started with the professional builders, um, and it's cut out all the wasted time. Awesome. So they've got to they've got to meet the criteria when it comes to budget. Do they have their own land or don't they? Um, does their expectation for build meet the budget? those type of things. Are they a mortgage client? Are they a non-mortgage client? So we have a whole list of criteria that we awesome. decide. That's a game changer because it also raises the level of perception of you. Yeah. Professional. And like it's the biggest investment of 99% of people's lives. So if we can take the focus just solely off price, like if you only give price to people to consider, that's all they'll judge you on. But if mm. you give them quality workmanship, trustworthiness, credibility, communication, uh, quality of our guys, uh, et cetera, then that's what they're going to choose on as well as uh, the price variable. Yeah, no, definitely. So, yeah, so when it comes to design, I'll probably go outside and then I'll come up with some ideas and do some hand sketching and and then I'll I'll match them with the, the architects that I've aligned myself with here in, in the manual too. Mm -hmm. um, and even with some of the remote architects, of, I think they're a better fit. And once again, we have everyone through from architectural drafts people to full-blown architects and, and that's decided on budget as well. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. And mm. tell me a little bit about why you decided to uh, join the professional builder and what you were looking for, what areas specifically you were wanting to, you know, improve and make changes in. Okay. So the, the main reason I sort of started watching the, um, the Facebook um, page and just the, the webinars and stuff that you started putting out before I joined was I'd been on a couple of coaching sessions with one-on-one -on -one coaches and I kind of felt like I was getting textbook advice from people who had never been involved in the industry or had experienced what we go through as builders. So, and I also started to identify in myself um, that I was perhaps slipping back into the mold that saw me get into trouble the first time. So it's funny that gut instinct just came back and I just thought, no, I can't do this. I can't allow this to happen. So I pressed the button that day and joined the program. And um, straight away, there was a whole lot of um, information and enlightenment there about different ways to do things and, and what I should be looking for, what I should be chasing. And so um, that just gave me a whole new level of um, support really. And that was really what I was looking for. Awesome. Tell, tell me about, so you said uh, alignment and clarity. What things stood out in particular? Was it 
having a plan of where you want to end up and then the specific systems to help get you there? Was it how business should run? Was it understanding your numbers in depth? Was it on-site systems? Like, or was it just well, the above? Well, it was pretty much most of it, really, because it wasn't until I realised that I started the programme and the focus was about, initially, was on, on the numbers and, and understanding the numbers because um, even though my right-hand man, um, Anna, she's she's amazing. She's got a business degree. She's got an accounting degree. Um, we have a very different way of looking at numbers. So mine's more from a, a builder's point of view and, and hers is from an analytical point of view, but it wasn't it wasn't aligning somewhere. And I just thought, well, do other people think about this like I do or am I thinking about it wrong? And so I think the first revelation was just looking at those numbers and knowing what to ask for and what you should be aiming at and what you put in at the top doesn't always come out at the bottom and just understanding all that. And then that sort of highlighted the areas for us very quickly where we were losing that. And it wasn't that we were quoting badly, we just weren't controlling well. And, and for me, it goes from once you know your numbers, like number of leads, conversion rate, average dollar sale, margin on each individual project, overall company margin, then your PBR, you know, what is your professional builder's rate per hour company profits and salary divided by the hours you're working. You can then focus on, well, are we going in at 20%, but we're coming out at 14 on some jobs? Okay, which jobs, why, et cetera. Or are we not got enough deal flow? And we're having to price jobs to win jobs at, you know, 16, 7, whatever. And it then very much gives you a subset of what to focus on for the next 30 or 90 days and reduces the overwhelm because you're like, well, cool. If I do these three things, we can improve productivity on site by breaking the job down by stage, having, having the foreman report the hours each week, and in the toolbox meetings, letting the guys know where they're up to. Yeah, and I think probably the biggest game changer that we've introduced in the last six months is we set up a whole lot of default diaries. So, and when I was doing that process, I went, well, you know, this means every day they have no excuses. They, they know exactly what's expected of them. They know exactly what they have to get done. And there's no more the sort of the bullshit excuses like, oh, I forgot or anything like that, because how can you forget? It's on your wall in an A2 coloured sheet in your office on site. Do this every day, um, which really made me realise that not only was I not holding myself accountable for not doing things on time or not finishing things, I wasn't holding anyone else in my business accountable. And that's cost me a couple of staff, I'm not going to lie. They didn't like change. They didn't like different things happening. But what it's done, and they were the older guys that were sort of used to doing things their way and having that freedom. But what it's done is once they moved on, all the younger guys kind of felt like the glass ceiling was gone. They now had a future. They could grow into these roles. And so they're grabbing it with both hands. And, and it's actually quite fun working with them now. And they don't always react well when you hold them accountable, but they get over it pretty quickly because they realise. So I'm I'm noticing quite a um, quite a change in mindset. How, what fear did you have to go through, or what concerns did you overcome to put these systems in place with your team, and how receptive were they? Um, so my biggest fear was prior. I mean. The labour market here in, in the Mount of Tour is hugely competitive and the guys are getting huge pay at the moment. So 
um, I've been through this constant rotation of training guys, building them up, giving them responsibility and then losing them. And I think that put me into the mindset, oh, just give them what they want and don't push them too hard and, and stuff like that. In actual fact, that was the reason people were leaving because there wasn't enough structure. And the revelation came when I started making the changes in implementing um, systems and things like that. All of a sudden they saw that, I think they kind of looked at it as though, shit, they're now working for someone that's, that's disciplined, they've got systems and they're not gonna get away with this stuff. And, and then they're seeing the business growth through these systems and they're feeling a lot more secure. Awesome. And so, yeah, so the fear really was just losing all my staff again. Yeah, 100%. But I think once you get over that and you raise the bar and you hold people higher to a higher level of accountability, everyone wants to, has an inherent nature typically to want to be the best or, you know, perform their best, do well in areas and in particularly at work. What growth have you seen uh, over, over the last 12 months? So we've kind of had a bit of a seesaw, right, obviously with COVID um, affecting different things. So if I went back three to four years, we sort of floated between 1.2 and 1.8 million turnover, um, which would be one big build, one small build with myself and three or four guys um, and me on the tools occasionally or most of the time to the last two years, three, 3.8 million turnover. Um, six or seven guys. Uh, this year we've dropped off because we had a couple of issues with um, two big projects being put on hold. We haven't lost them, they've been put on hold. That was just over three and a half million dollars worth of work because titles fell through on some land. Right. So yeah. we have, we've been scrambling for the last four months to, to fill those jobs in. But our forward order book um, currently sits at 14.8 million without those two jobs I was talking about. And this week alone, we've had two inquiries with budgets of one mil. Um, so the next two years, our, our, our numbers tell us now that I need to increase our staff levels by at least four. Awesome. And we can compact that into, um, we're going to try and get that, that work done in 2.2 years is our goal. I love it. That is epic. And the good, the good thing I'm hearing out this is certainty of direction You've taken action and very clear on your numbers of number of you know full-time people that you need to do that. Are you using solely employees or are you using employees and contractors or are you going to, as you grow, look at some fixed labour crews? Yeah, this is a real classic. Um, this is just shows you the growth just in myself and the way I think about numbers. Um, I actually sat down on um, the first two days of COVID and went, man, how am I going to cope with this? And um, I, I used the, the labour costing sheet, put in what I expect to have to pay my top guys next year. And yep. then I um, worked out what my cost rates were. Then I sat down and I created a chart, listed out all the jobs. And then, you know, one of our pitfalls is labour overruns. So came at it from a, another approach and well, okay, well, if I have a team of three on this house, how long is it going to take? Worked out the hours that way as a back check. And all of a sudden, I had this sheet, this spreadsheet just developing in front of me, and, it, and it's it's got a column. It tells me what the percentage of the build is, the labour, and, and all these different numbers. And it, and it was spitting out numbers at the bottom, going, "Well, actually, there's you've now got forty three thousand hours worth of work." 
to do in two years. How are you going to do that with 10 guys when you're producing 1,500 yep. hours of work per man? You can't do this. So I started another calculation. Okay, well, if I sub out the foundations and if I sub out this nice. and yep. different stages, I've worked out that if we can get to 12 guys and contract someone to do these four stages, we'll be able to do this. And So what are you yeah. looking at contracting out? Like foundations, roof? So I've um, been speaking with another award-winning builder who's um, kind of interested in what we're doing. And he's, he's an awful lot younger than himself. He's got a good crew. So I had a meeting with him yesterday. So he's, he's now going to do all our foundations. And, and then he's going to stand all our, on, on some of the jobs, he's going to stand the frames and trusses and, and get all that stuff done. And then possibly look at contract on some of the claddings for us. So, um, Brilliant. yeah. Next step, a roofing company, and then let's get twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that just shows you what you can achieve when you change your mind to think about diff things differently. I've always been a person that's done everything himself. I hire a digger, dig out the drive, dig out the foundations. You know, can't do that anymore. I'm too busy. I have to. I have to be in here, not on the on the tools. And what's your margin like? So. Um, prior to the prior to the material shortages, which has really hammered us, um, it's probably knocked our margins in half this year, to be honest, with the delays on jobs and stuff. But last year we were running around that sixteen to eighteen percent. Mm -hmm. um, we were pricing um, at eighteen going in. Some jobs were negotiated; didn't really want to lose them. But currently, we're doing a $2.2 million architecturally designed home. We're getting 8% um, getting P&G. We're nice. getting 10% um, markup on our materials. 8% yep. on our subcontractors. And we're getting a 15% gross margin on every invoice, well, on, on every monthly invoice. So the actual... The actual end monthly gross margin that we're ending up on that job is around that sort of eighteen to nineteen percent as well. So, yeah. and are you billing? Are you billing monthly, or are you billing by milestone, or how how you? No, we're billing monthly on that job, so because it's cost reimbursement. Sure. So, the other thing that we are changing to from our next contract on is progress claims. We're getting out of um, stage payments and milestones. Awesome, I love it. Nice. That, that should help smooth out cash flow quite a bit. Um, yeah, well, we're, you know, we're getting stuck with stage payments, Marty, because subbies aren't turning up or products not turning up or, and, you know, we're, we're having to pay for forward orders and all this sort of stuff at the moment. And, um, you know, that gets pretty tough with the level of turnover that we're having. It's, it's a lot of money up. Mm. 100%. Was that um, the price rise in materials uh, panel that we did last month? Did you get any good ideas out of that? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I really love the idea of uh, PC summing the framing and your timber costs. <laughs> um, one of the one of the things that's been working well for us, um, yeah. So the, the decision to go to progress claims was came from that from that webinar and also uh, just tagging more. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, but one of the one of the other things that I offered to the the crew at the time and it's working really well for us is what we call future pricing. 
Mm-hmm. So if a client sits down with me today and, and their bill's 950k, I'll be saying to them, well, here's, here's the price at today's rates, but I'm not signing a contract with you because we can't start for 18 months or we can't start for 12 months. Here's how much I expect you to have as a contingency for us to start in that, you know, in the six, 12, 18 months period. And they have to agree to that. Otherwise, we're not, we're not going to commit ourselves. Awesome. I like it. Um, so are you factoring that in with clause in there for material and price rises and so forth? Yeah, we have a, generally to get that across the line with customers, we have an agreement that if a material moves one to five percent, we probably and it's it's not a huge component of the build. Um, so like if a say for instance, jib board moves five percent, but it's only like two percent of the build cost, we probably won't worry about that. But we have an agreement that anything goes above five percent, that we'll be charging that on. Awesome. It's yeah. a good way to look at it. And how, how have you changed as a person or a leader in the business over the last uh, 12 months? Um, in the last 12 months, it's been quite dramatic. I actually didn't realise um, how much I'd changed until um, I get a few comments back, uh, particularly from my, my daughter who works in-house with us as interior design and, and kitchen design and things like that. She says, you're just so much calmer you don't you're not flying off the handle swearing down the phone or you know storming out of the office you're um and even just the way i communicate with my guys is very deliberate direct and well thought out and planned i never go into a meeting now without an agenda um even if i'm going to have a site meeting with my guys now we have a a checklist and i've explained to them the cost of holding meetings Yep. what it cost me per hour to hold a meeting. Our staff meeting once a month on a Friday, two hours, 10 guys, you know, it's three grand. Let's, yep. let's make use of that time. 100%, 100%. Now, what, what's ahead for the next 12 months and beyond? Where do you want to take the business? Where are the big opportunities? So I think the big opportunities for us is to um, start thinking about some um, design builds for ourselves. A little bit of speaking. Um, currently working on trying to secure a deal on some sections from a client of ours. Um, and I want to build some passive house homes, use them as a show home for a month and then move them on. Awesome. Yeah. But also the other big opportunity we've got is we recently bought a, a big warehouse, um, which we've just submitted plans to renovate and put a new office on the front. And that's going to be built as a um, passive office because I see some real opportunity and some growth in light commercial with that. So that's our that's our target for the next 18 months. Nice. All right. And what about the Queenstown side of things? What's the plan? Um, yeah, so we've actually just got our um, first build across the line. Queenstown or Wanaka? Uh, actually in Cromwell, up on... Okay. Um, a subdivision called Boulders. Um, the client down there's got 400 acres of rock face. And uh, so we're building right up on the top of there overlooking the lake. So um, we're about to, so is that on the opposite side to the racetrack or is it past the racetrack heading out of town? No, it's on the opposite side as if you're heading back towards the Linders Pass. So I got you. Yep. Yeah. So we've got a, a really cool um, 
design build that we've got off the ground up down there. So um, kind of eye-watering square meter rates, but um, you need it up there. So, yep. And we've got we've got three other clients we're working with at the moment trying to get them across. They've signed design proposals. So we've so, only had the license down there 12 months. Um, the previous guy had done nothing with it for four years. So we got a bit of, we had a bit of repair work to do. But um, I think in the time that we've had it to to get a 1.5 million 160 square meter house across the line um, and get three other inquiries happening, I think we're doing pretty well already. Yeah, that, yeah, big opportunities. You're well poised now to really smash it out of the park. So um, I'm sort of a, kind of planning on uh, making a few trips down there and definitely running running my car at the the track there in Cromwell will definitely be on the cards. Oh, what do you what do you got? I've got a uh, eighty six Group AM three BMW. E thirty. E thirty. One of my favourite cars. I'll, I'll show you the model of it, Marty. I, I, I could take you out and show you the real thing, but I'll just show you a model. So uh, that's exactly what my car looks oh, like. Yes, yes. Now, was that um, was the Schnitzer BMW team around that time? Or were they just uh, yes, definitely. So six, three, five, and that. Yeah, so I run in a group called the Historic Touring Cars. So that's any car that ran Wellington Street Race, Bathurst, or the Group A's between uh, eighty-five and ninety. So, um, so I've been doing that for about seven years and um, I remember as a kid going down to watch them in Wellington um, and I spent the last seven years racing with all my heroes. RS500. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that was a classic group. That My favourite car of all time at that age group was the Group B Audi Quattro. Yep. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. I love it. I was meant to actually be, because I've just bought a brand new uh, or a new GT3. I was meant to be at a track day. Uh, thanks, Jacinda. Uh, last week, first one for the new car, but uh, that's been uh, transpired. And I've raced at, I've raced at Manfield. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was on motorbikes. It's such a good track. Yeah. So currently I'm doing 15s around there in my M3. Nice. Dude, that's uh, my bike. Uh, was a 600 I was doing 14s um, but and the national superbike guys were doing 108s 109s 110s yeah that, that's from my quick that's um that's out of a 2.3 naturally aspirated m3 brilliant I love it yeah Warren it's been so good talking to you today uh, I look forward to having a one-on-one -on -one session with you because I've got some strategies that could help around hiring uh, we're going to do a training. So next month, um, why don't we book in a coaching session, you and me, let's get an agenda together. Yep, definitely. Every meeting is valuable. Yep. And uh, I'll, I'll do some planning and we can map out a plan of attack to um, yeah, kick, take advantage of all the opportunities you've got. Yeah, and Marty, can I just say that um, what you guys do is um, pretty phenomenal, really. Like it, Joining the group for me, even at my age, you know, 40 plus years of building, um, I've just learned so much. And Jesus, mate, if I was 30 years old, I'd be doing this all over. And I'd be, I'd be saying to anyone that's thinking about, take yourself from having a job with overheads to having a business. And it's, it's just a, it's, it's a life changer, mate. Thanks, Warren. I appreciate that. And 
what I really appreciate is seeing good things happen to good people who do the work and your testament to that. Thank you. Yeah, we try hard. Damn straight. Yep, you got to put put the hours and put the reps in. Thank you yep. very much for your time, Warren. I got to jump on to a uh, webinar now about I'm COVID. Going to join us? Uh, sorry, mate. I've got to go off to a, um, a planning session with a client. So um, awesome. Yeah. Well, it's been fantastic talking to you. Great seeing your car, hearing of your success. And um, I'll ask Peter to book a time in my diary for next month for a one on one. Sounds good. Thanks, Good man. to talk to you. Thanks, Marty. Have a nice See you, mate. See you, brother.